0: This is Matt Zanker standing in for David Sylvan. Over the next few installments of our podcast, we are going to continue to roll out some of the talks from our New Frontiers event that we held in November with our partners at NASA Glenn Research Center. The event, entitled Innovating for Systemness and Wellbeing, combined fascinating perspectives from healthcare experts, along with NASA scientists, flight directors, and even astronauts, to compare notes about crisis preparation, management, and building a new future. While recorded virtually, these panels benefited from some visual cues, so you are invited to check out the video on our UH Ventures YouTube channel, but we thought the content was worth worth sharing on our podcast as well. The next part of our series features UH's Melissa Brasky, NASA's Sharon Miller, and Magnet's Brandon Cornuke. Here is Patricia with the panel introduction. Enjoy.
1: Thanks, Matt, Sam, Ginger, and Heather for that awesome panel. We will now circle back with Kip Lee, Managing Director with UH Ventures, to moderate our next panel, Innovation via Nautics: Systems Sailing During COVID-19. Kip and the panelists will explore how innovators across different systems came together earlier this year to create a systems of systems to protect and safeguard those in our community. Our community has responded to to the COVID-19 crisis in an innovative manner. Now we will explore the ways in which we accomplish this and what the serendipitous partnership means going forward. Kip, take it away.
2: Good morning. My name is Kip with the UH Ventures team and I have the honor of moderating the panel Innovation via Systemnautics, AKA systems sailing during COVID-19. Our panelists are Sharon Miller, Melissa Brasky, and Brandon Cornuke. A quick uh, bio of each of our panelists. Uh, Sharon is a senior researcher, uh, research engineer at NASA Glenn Research Center, a prolific author and inventor as well. Her area of research uh, specializes in atomic oxygen and UV and its effects on spacecraft materials. Melissa is the Environmental Health and Safety Director at University Hospitals. Prior to UH, she she led diverse teams in various sectors, including healthcare, manufacturing, and industrial settings. She is the person when it comes to complex safety and environments uh, of care issues uh, at UH. Last but not least, Brandon is the Vice President of Strategy and Startup Services at Magnet, the Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network located in Northeast Ohio. He leads the company's efforts to help innovators turn manufactured product uh, ideas into growing businesses. I've had the pleasure of working side by side, albeit virtually with each one of our panelists during the past few months in the thick of the pandemic. Welcome and thank you for joining. Let's start with the word astronaut. To my surprise, uh, it literally means space sailor. Uh, The metaphor of sailing is apt to describe how UH, nasa magnet we worked together in the past few months Uh, instead of a calm climate condition where things are predictable and stable we were working in a crisis filled with complexity and uncertainty interestingly uh, crafting strategy during such times has been compared with sailing due to things outside of one's direct control for example when sailing the emerging water and wind conditions play a big role And it's not so much overcoming them, but really working with these conditions, things like timing, uh, serendipity, and luck are critical factors. I'd love to explore today how each of you and your respective organizations managed to successfully sail and navigate through new frontiers during COVID-19. The first uh, question I have, and uh, I think um, uh, it's, it's a good question given that the, the, the theme for this morning is systemness. What does system mean to each one of you and your organizations? Uh, there was a sense of uh, something larger as we came together during this pandemic, a, a system of systems, if you will. What makes a great system? Uh, how would you fill in the statement, a great system is blank, and if you can provide an example, that would be great. Brandon, let's start with you. What's a great system?
3: Um, yeah, and good morning, and thanks for having me. Um, I think a great system is uh, a collection of entities that accomplishes more than the sum of its parts could. Right? And um, as an example, uh, working with, with UH um, developing PPE through the crisis, uh, I found that um, the partnerships we were able to forge quickly with, with UH and with CASE and with others. Um, throughout the ecosystem were quick, it enabled dramatic um, speed and innovation in very compressed timeframes that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. Um, I saw other organizations try to do it on their own um, and um, and a great system um, really made, it allowed us to do sort of much more than we could have done um, as individuals. Sharon, uh...
2: Same question for you. What, what makes a great, great system? Well, first, good morning. Um,
4: yeah, I'm going to have to mirror Brandon's response a little bit. And I think it's a collection of individuals that bring their talent and expertise to work uh, well together to solve a problem. And not a pro- just a problem that benefits the individuals, but benefits society as a whole. And a good example of that is our partnership with university hospitals, where we're working together to enable hospitals to clean PPE on site. And um, you know, it's it's a combination of putting our knowledge of space environment and analysis together with UH's uh, expertise in medicine to try to help protect frontline caregivers and their patients.
2: Yeah. Melissa, same, same for you.
1: Yeah, um, so a system is, like Brandon said, a collection of parts and they all work and move together. So when one of the pieces is uh, changed, it impacts other parts of the system, um, some subtly and some more profoundly. So when you have a disaster like COVID-19, that's obviously going to impact our system. So I think a good system is one that adapts and has adaptive capacity.
2: I think when we think about systems, we sometimes think about the solar system uh, or a system of components that we can build. Uh, Sharon, you mentioned the humans, uh, if I heard you correctly, when you were talking about the, the parts. Does it get complicated when we're talking about humans and and human systems uh, i would imagine uh, it's a bit uh different than say static or inert um, material parts how, how did how did that work how does that work in a great system when the parts are are human beings curious about <laughs> that, uh, that component
4: well it's um it's a matter mostly of listening to each other and to understand where each other is coming from and trying to use each other's experience to build on uh build together make the outcome bigger than than you could do individually
2: brandon quick question for you as well i mean uh does it does it change how you think about systems when the parts are are human beings with their own I guess, volition and will to align or not align, uh, especially during a, a crisis like where we're in.
3: Um, crisis, for some, um, it, uh, is a sort of panic-inducing um, uh, moment, right, where you might fight or fl- freeze or flee, right? Others see crisis as an opportunity. Um, and in order to mobilize a a complex system of people, you have to understand all of those um, motivations and interactions. We found that following along the the example of of creating um, supply chains that that rapidly produced PPE for hospitals and specifically UH, um, we found that the the people component was actually um, a huge benefit in the sense that there was purpose behind what we were doing. I mean, for the it 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 made what we were doing actually it we were able to clear roadblocks that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to um, using sort of traditional manufacturing systems because there was this great upswell of of um, desire to help and, a, and an understanding of um, of the of the the weight of the moment. And while we didn't see a lot of panic, actually, what we saw was a whole lot of leadership and a whole lot of, of, um, of rising up to that challenge, uh, which actually amplified the system. Uh, and, so, and understanding that and riding that wave um, was, uh, was a big part of the success.
2: Yeah, really awesome. Melissa, you mentioned the term adaptive. I, I can't help but imagine uh, it, it um, Connects with what Brandon and Sharon just shared about the the human ability to adapt with change, uh, to have purpose, and um, were there some new capabilities, new uh, things that the UH system, which you and I are a part of, had to embrace, or we had to evolve our knowledge or skill set uh, to adapt during this time? And can you speak to uh, some of those? either challenges or opportunities. How did we actually go from a former state to uh, a newer state uh, in that time of uh, adaptation during this crisis?
1: Yes, so information was coming from the CDC and other organizations very quickly. Uh, It was changing uh, sometimes by the hour. So we had to, Communication structures in place so that we could uh, quickly adapt and, you know, make decisions um, on a, a quick basis and make sure that uh, they were approved and coming from one source of information and one source of truth.
2: Were there some new? Uh, this is for Melissa. Uh, were there some uh, new things that people had to learn? uh and uh was that uh easy uh to to you know connect back with brandon's point is purpose enough to bring about the change or what else uh do you do you have to have whether it's skills capabilities building uh how does that work in terms of you know you've got purpose on the one hand uh the mission the desire to contribute and come together Uh, did we have the right capabilities to align with that purpose, or were there some things that people were asked to change uh, to to focus and adopt and adapt?
1: Sure, Um, and just to build on what what Brandon had said, um, people were excited to jump in and help wherever they could, um, whether that meant learning something new. um, For example, fit testing, we had to fit test an entire organization when PPE was was scarce, it had n 95s that may not have been the, the typical N95 that somebody was fit-tested to. We had to quickly come up with a strategy to fit-test the entire organization um, into a variety of different types of N95s. Um, and we had people that uh, were just administrative assistants that uh, volunteered to help testing and learn a new skill um, our screeners is another example we have um, people from all over the organization volunteering to perform health screening at the entrance of the building
2: sharon noticed that uh, in your bio it calls out your work uh, uh, on spacecraft and spaceships the word craftsmanship i think is really interesting in light of the work that we did Uh, systems work, and oftentimes people think about systems, complex, very large, yet many of the things we were able to accomplish uh, together involved getting into the details and uh, into very concrete things. Uh, Can you tell us about um, some of the work that we did where it involved paying attention to the minutiae and and details? And uh, I'd love to ask our other panelists as well, but starting with you, Sharon, Uh, Tell us about concrete things, maybe even small things that we did uh, amidst systems change.
4: Okay. Um, Yeah, one of our challenges was that we had generated atomic oxygen on a small scale uh, at atmospheric pressure. Uh, Normally, we generated in vacuum to study, you know, how it affects spacecraft. But on a small scale, we had only done an atmospheric pressure over like a couple inch area. So now we needed to be able to clean batches of PPE. So we needed to scale this process up. Uh, But the challenge was that we didn't have our normal infrastructure at NASA that we normally have because because of the pandemic, the majority in the lab was on mandatory telework. So Um, There's very few people on site. So that infrastructure that you can count on, you know, you can go to the machine shop or whatever was not there. Um, So we had to be able to design um, a system that we could use that was uh, based on things that we could find in our own laboratory or that we could go out to the local hardware home improvement store and pick up. Uh, So there was a lot of details there in terms of... um, making lists of you know from down to the very minutest uh fitting or part that what part do we need to fit into this and uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of detail oriented uh work there and a lot of craftsmanship because we were like sawing plywood and <laughs> working with all kinds of things that we don't normally work with but you know it was on hand so
2: Got it, got it. The secret is out. Uh, the, the great NASA, as we know it, uh, also goes to the local hardware store to, to purchase things <laughs> there and uh, you know, we, we do what we can to make things we need. I mean, the notion of prototyping, uh, as you point out, uh, was also very much at the heart of what we did. Uh, Brandon, can you speak to some of the detail orientedness uh, and the things we did together as well.
3: So uh, again, I'll stick to the theme of the the face shield effort that we um, that we went through. Um, the The idea of creating a product um, and and scaling it, um, it it occurred to us very quickly. By the way, that's what we needed to do. Right, we needed to get, go through a product development cycle and get it to scale um, in the tens of thousands per day, um, which which is normally an activity that takes months and months. I mean, call it six to nine to 12 months of, of, of effort, six if you're going very quickly, and we need to do it in weeks. Um, so the, the idea of um, prototyping and, um, and the craftsmanship you're describing needed to be dramatically compressed. And so the way we did that was by, first of all, starting with what works. So we took a, a what was essentially an open source design um, of for the the shield, a specific component, the head harness, and said, "Okay, this generally is in line with what works." But then we got laser focused on what the customer, in this case, the UH team needed, what they were telling us they needed. Um, and once we went through the process of of identifying those needs, we rapidly ripped through prototypes over and over. I mean, the chair your your hardware store example is very much what we were doing. I mean, we were literally going out finding any material we could strapping it together with tape, taking pictures, running it over to UH, um, exchanging, you know, in this really weird time of, you know, here, you know, kind of throw it to them and see if it's worth. Um, once we, we got to the point where there was a prototype that was, was enough, we had to all well hold hands and agree that it wasn't gonna be perfect, but it was gonna be good enough. And then we had to say, all right, what's the, what's the best way to make this at scale? And the way we did that was essentially by saying, let's take the most advanced technology we have at our fingertips and put it to work as best we can. And in that, uh, that case, we were actually able to use 3D printed metal injection molds um, that use something called conformal cooling, which allows for rapid cycle times. This is highly advanced stuff um, that often takes months to get access to, but because of what we previously described as people like, rising to the challenge and things clearing away, we got access to those tools that immediately made those molds. Um, within weeks, we were uh, we were on lines producing um, head harnesses that would have taken again months and months uh, of uh, of advanced um, advanced effort in in, uh, in pre COVID times.
2: Yeah, it's almost like uh, you know time as being relative really came into to play. It became a reality, and it feels like almost maybe more than just months ago then, that we, we started uh, a lot of these things. Um, Melissa, you know, Brandon and Sharon, I think have shared some really great examples of things that we've been able to experience uh, as, as outside in opportunities, uh, where, you know, they are uh, great external partners that we've been able to collaborate with. You were also involved uh, with a an initiative that really began inside of UH, and then it was taken out to the community. We've called it Healthy Restart, and of course, you know, Brandon, you you have been involved with that. Um, curious about the the perspective from where you sat. What was it like actually going to other institutions and outside of UH to take some of the learnings from UH and Apply it and perhaps uh, be of benefit to those outside of the hospital system. Can you tell us about that experience?
1: Sure. So, uh, healthcare was dealing with this pandemic um, and being open. We obviously never shut down, as many schools and manufacturers had had stopped and and shut down their businesses um, and closed their doors and. So we had knowledge that we were able to share with them and they were hungry for the information and we were able to, you know, share what our experiences were like and how we are managing through this day-to-day with PPE and ventilation and um, masking and, um, you know, monitoring our symptoms. We were able to share our processes with these other Organizations in the community, and they were very appreciative, and it was it was great to be able to have that opportunity to be out there and help them.
2: Is there an example of something that uh, that originates in healthcare that uh, where you found a connection to benefit the outside of healthcare realm?
1: Sure, um, one example I can think of that is used in healthcare and probably just safety in general um, is when in the summertime it's very hot and in manufacturing it can get very, very hot and you know, in in a pandemic you can't have fans running and blowing, you know, personal space from one person to another. So, you know, organizations reach out and ask well, what can we do? What are other options if we can't use fans? And, you know, when you think of healthcare and our surgeons in our operating rooms, how do they cool off and, you know, they have a lot of lights and and heat and a lot of bodies in a room. Um, So, you know, I was able to share with these organizations um, an option of using a cooling vest, which surgeons wear during during surgery. So um, that's just one example.
2: Very cool. Brandon, you, you you hit on something very interesting uh, regarding speed and and it goes for all uh, all of the work that we did together uh, with the other panelists as well, uh, where speed did, did not necessarily uh, mean you had to sacrifice process and having discipline. Um, now that we've proven that we can work very quickly under crisis, what does that mean for us uh, as organizations, as a community after uh, the crisis as we look uh, forward to, um, you know, some normal again.
3: It's such a great question. I, I would love to say, hey, now that we've proven we can make molds in two weeks, I don't I don't think the six month thing is gonna fly anymore. Yeah. But the truth is, I think it took very special ingredients uh, to make that level of speed possible. Right, a, a lot of uh, so many other things had to be paused. I think what we did learn, however, is that there are sort of, sort of some wonderful pathways that when in need can be activated. And maybe it shouldn't take a crisis for us to ask the question, hey, can we rethink how fast we can move um, given our focus? And if we can focus and if there's buy-in, if there's a vision for what we're doing, I think those are those are ingredients that can, well, maybe not, you know, taking it to absurd levels of of you know weeks, you know from from a year to a week, it it can certainly create a um, the kind of speed that dramatically cuts um, processes that would otherwise just have assumed hey things sort of go at their pace. Um, so it was it was really it was eye opening and so encouraging. And and on top of that, what we found is that. What enabled that speed was not just an internal process of, you know, we work faster with what we've always done or we're using new technology. It was partnerships that allowed an information exchange that gave us the confidence to know that we were headed in the right direction. You, Kip, you you and I, I mean, we were talking seven times a day to get some of these done sometimes. It was incredible. That's gotta be there too, to get speed done, right? So that partnership has to be sort of seamless and bought in if you get those ingredients going, I think you can, you can start to see speed happening in surprising ways.
2: Awesome. Uh, one more question. Uh, what is, uh, as we think about that post-pandemic world, what's one thing that uh, you can't do right now for each one of our panelists uh, that, what's, that you're going to do as soon as uh, you're able to again? Um, Melissa, maybe start with you.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I am going to give everybody I know a great big hug.
2: <laughs> yeah, great answer, Brandon. you're What about you? Um, I am gonna travel, and I don't care if I
3: have a one, a four, and a seven-year-old. They're getting <laughs> in the plane. They're going with me.
4: Awesome, Sharon. Well, I can talk to per in person to people that I know, and uh, and meet with them, and. That would be really nice.
2: It would be great to meet you in person, Sharon. Uh, I will travel in my car to go see you, Brandon. And Melissa, I'd love to give you a hug uh, because we've been through a lot together. Um, What a pleasure sailing with each one of you. And uh, thank you for your partnership during this turbulent time. Uh, uh, Really, really enjoy working with you and hope we can continue to innovate um, as we progress along. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. This was part two of our New Frontiers series. So please stay tuned for more over the next few weeks. Talk to you soon.